we are going to make it through the whole chapter tonight and conclude Nehemiah. It's kind of a long chapter. We'll try not to spend too much time. It's 31 verses, but I think we can, we can get through it all. Just a quick recap of what we've gone through in probably the last three months or so, four months, however long we've been in Nehemiah. We saw Nehemiah come back to Jerusalem and things were a mess. Things were pretty good uh, because Zerubbabel and Ezra and, and a group of, of people from Judah had returned from captivity and they had rebuilt the temple and things were getting better in Jerusalem, but the walls were still down. Uh, they were still up to some extent in some places, but they were very torn. In some places they were completely destroyed and Nehemiah came back in. It was on his heart to repair the walls. He inspected the damage and they got to work and they had some enemies, Sanballat and Tobiah, some of, some of those names we saw at the beginning. And they were trying their best to discourage and stop the work, but Nehemiah and, and all those were diligent to work. And they worked with one hand, kept their hand on their sword with the other, and in 52 days they completed the wall. And things were good. And after they completed the wall, they realized their sin. They acknowledged their sin. They repented of their sin. And they said, God, we have really sinned against you and we repent for the way that we've been and the way that our ancestors were and they go through and they and they kind of kind of recall in the, the chapter two before this that we saw that they said look god time and time again our ancestors have been disobedient and they begin to list all these examples throughout the old testament our ancestors were disobedient but god you were faithful but then our ancestors were disobedient but god you were faithful and then our ancestors were disobedient. But God, you were faithful. And God, will you be faithful to us? Will you have mercy on us? Because we realize that we've done wrong. But God, you've been good to bring us back to the land. So have mercy on us. Help us to get reestablished. And then they went through. Uh, we saw in Nehemiah 10, we saw this list of things that they kind of that they kind of uh, went through. And I, I broke it down into 11 different things. Uh, you might could break it down in more or less. But... There were several things that they said, okay, God, here are some key areas that we see that we have not been doing good. And so we're going to do good in these areas. We're making a vow, dear Lord, that we're going to do right by you in these areas. Now, we won't go through all of them, but just a, a recap. Some of the major ones were not intermarrying. That's kind of a big theme that we see in Ezra and Nehemiah and really all throughout the Old Testament, that God did not want his people to intermarry with foreign people. It, again, it, it wasn't a racial thing. It was a, if you intermarry with people who worship other gods, they will cause you to worship other gods. So don't marry anybody that's going to cause you to worship other gods. Marry people uh, that are people of Judah and Israel. Why? Because only Judah and Israel worship Yahweh, the one true God. And so God says, you guys need to marry your own so that y'all can have the same ideas. And what are those ideas? To worship me and live by my word. That's what God wanted. And so they said, look, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to, we're going to make sure that everything in the temple is taken care of, that all of the, the tent, the sacrifices that we are to bring and the offerings that we are to bring, the storehouses in the temple that are supposed to hold these things for the Levites and the priests and the temple workers, we're going to start bringing these things back in. And we're going to, we're going to dedicate our, our animals and our, and our children to you, God. Not, not dedicate as in killing the children, but in saying, God, we're, we're giving our children to you. Now, the false gods... You know, we see in the scripture that, 
that the false gods that the people would offer their children to these gods by passing them through the fire is the language we see. But not so for God's, God's people. God's people were supposed to dedicate their children to God to say, God, these are, these are our children, but we're giving them to you. We're going to raise them in the way that you called us to do. And they go through and they a whole list of things that they pick out. And they say, these are areas that we're going to do better. And we see them praising the Lord. We see them celebrating in a way that they had not done since the people went into the promised land. And things were looking really good up to what we saw last week in chapter 12. But that but comes. The same but that we saw in the last couple of chapters when they said, God, you were good, but we were bad. God, you were good, but we were bad. God, you've been good to us now. We're going to do good by you. And guess what? The story ends with a but in Nehemiah 13. And so that's where we are tonight. That's just kind of a, a brief recap of what we've seen in the last few months and what got us to this point. And sadly, the, the story does not end on a good note. Let's pray and then we'll jump in. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for your good word. And I pray that you help us to learn something from this passage. Maybe something that we got that we're doing wrong in our life, dear Lord. Some some areas that we need to repent of, and God help us to stay on the on the right track and not fall back into our old ways. To be aware of the things that we do, it's easy to do, dear Lord. It was easy for your folks in the Old Testament, and it's easy for us today. So we need your help, dear Lord. We need to repent when we do wrong. We need to try to do right. And then when we do wrong again, dear Lord, we need to come to you and ask for your grace, not because we deserve it because you're good. So God, I pray that you just give us a good word tonight. Hide me behind the cross. I pray that you're glorified in all we read. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Nehemiah 13, verse 1. At that time, the book of Moses, that would be the beginning part of the, the law, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, usually those are referred to as the books of Moses. Uh, at that time, the book of Moses was read publicly to the people. The command was found written in it that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God because they did not meet the Israelites with food and water. Instead, they hired Balaam against them to curse them, but our God turned the curse into a blessing. When they heard the law, they separated all those of mixed descent from Israel. Okay? So, we see a little bit of a recap here. They're, they're going to do good. They're making these promises. They're trying to separate themselves from the foreigners and the, the intermarriage that had taken place. And we saw that earlier in the last chapter or two. And here they're reading the book. We see a, a brief mention here of the Ammonites and the Moabites. Now, the Ammonites and the Moabites, they kind of, they're kind of really all throughout the Old Testament. Now, Ammon and Moab uh, were sons of Lot. And so they had some, some land to the, uh, to the uh, east of where the, the Israel's promised land was. And, and God had told them when they were going into the promised land, he told the Israelites, hey, look, don't take any land from the Ammonites or the Moabites. Those are your, those are your relatives. And this is the land that I have given them. And so they weren't really supposed to mess with the Ammonites and the Moabites, but the Ammonites and the Moabites kind of seemed to give, give, give the people a lot of trouble. And one of, the, one of the biggest stories that you may be familiar with is the story of Balaam. You may be familiar with the, with the talking uh, donkey. You can find that story, I believe, in Numbers 22 through 25 and refresh yourself. But uh, I believe it was the king of Moab, if I'm not mistaken, that wanted uh, Balaam to pronounce this curse on God's people. And Balaam 
he, he refused to do it at first, but as we read through Scripture, we see that Balaam really wasn't a good guy. I believe in the New Testament, it kind of speaks negatively of, of, of Balaam. Uh, but this is referenced here, that even though Balak, the king of, of Moab, wanted Balaam to pronounce this curse on God's people, he didn't do it. And instead of being cursed, God's people were blessed. And so we see these Ammonites and Moabites kind of mentioned very briefly here. And there's a long history. Uh, that might be a fun thing if, if you ever are looking for something to study. That may be a fun thing to study in the Old Testament, the Ammonites and the Moabites. But we won't spend much time on that tonight. And then we kind of... We kind of shift gears here in verse 4. Now before this, Eliashib the priest had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. He was a relative of Tobiah and had prepared a large room for him where they had previously stored the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles and the tents of grain, new wine and oil prescribed for the Levites, singers and gatekeepers along with the contributions for the priest. Now, Elishib is mentioned throughout the book, and sometimes he's referred to as high priest, here priest, probably the same person. Things were going good. They were going to put the, bring the, the things into God's temple that they were supposed to bring and put them into storehouses and fill it up with these, these offerings and things that were supposed to be to, to support the temple workers. But we got a problem. Not long after they made those vows, we see that Elishib had taken one of these storerooms and he had let somebody live in it. Instead of storing the things that God had called the people to, to put in there, the things that they said they were going to, the priest is letting somebody hang out and live in the storeroom at the temple. And so things are not good. And we see the name Tobiah here. You may remember that name because that was one of the enemy of the people earlier in the story when they were trying to rebuild the wall. So things are not good. They're not running the temple in the way that they should and bringing the donations in the way that they should. Verse 6, While all this was happening, I was not in Jerusalem because I had returned to King Artaxerxes of Babylon in the 32nd year of his reign. It was only later that I asked the king for a leave of absence so I could return to Jerusalem. Then I discovered the evil that Elishib had done on behalf of Tobiah by providing him a room in the courts of God's house. I was greatly displeased and threw all of Tobiah's household possessions out of the room. I ordered that the rooms be purified, and I had the articles of the house of God restored there, along with the grain offering and frankincense. I also found out that because the portion for the Levites had not been given, each of the Levites and singers uh, performing the service, had gone back to his own field. So, Nehemiah was not here in this time. Back in, back in uh, chapter 7, I believe it was, Nehemiah had put some others in charge. And at some point in time after that, Nehemiah had left and gone back to King Artaxerxes. Remember, he was a cupbearer. He served the king, and the king had let him come build the walls. But at some point, Nehemiah had left after everything got reestablished. And now Nehemiah comes back and he sees that the priest has got a guy living up in the temple in one of the rooms and the stuff that the people were supposed to be bringing in is not there. Now the Levites were supposed to be provided for by the other tribes, which was not happening. So the Levites were having to work their own fields and provide for themselves. That's not what God had said. That's not what God had intended for the temple workers. And so Nehemiah was not happy about what had taken place. And you're going to see just how unhappy he was as we read through the chapter. Verse 11. Therefore I rebuked the official, saying, 
Why has the house of God been neglected? I gathered the Levites and singers together and stationed them at their post. Then all Judah brought a tenth of the grain, new wine, and oil into the storehouses. I appointed as treasurers over the storehouses Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Pediah of the, of the Levites, with Hanan, son of Zechar, son of Methaniah, to assist them, because they were considered trustworthy. They were responsible for the distribution to their colleagues. All right? So whoever was there that was supposed to be doing stuff, they wasn't doing right. So he gets some trustworthy people that can do the job, and he puts them in charge of making sure that the offerings are brought in and that the Levites and all those who are supposed to be provided for are provided for. Verse 14. Remember me for this, my God, and don't erase the deeds of faithful love I have done for the house of my God and for its services. At that time, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath. They were also bringing in uh, stores of grain and loading them on donkeys along with wine, grapes, figs. All kinds of good were being brought to Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. So I warned them against selling food on that day. The Tyrians living there uh, were, were importing fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil you are doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Didn't your ancestors do the same, so that our God brought all this disaster on us and on this city? And now you are rekindling his anger against Israel by profaning the Sabbath. This was one of the things that they promised. God, we're not going to buy from foreigners on the Sabbath. And what are they doing? They're not treating the Sabbath today holy as God had commanded the Israelites to do. They are working on the Sabbath. They are buying and selling on the Sabbath. And it is just another day to them like any other day of the week. And Nehemiah says, don't you realize what you're doing? Don't you realize this wall that we rebuilt, the temple that was just rebuilt, it was destroyed because of stuff like this, because we were disobedient. And now God lets us come back, and y'all are going to go back and do the same things? Don't you remember what got us in the mess that we've been in? And now you're not even, you're not even trusting in the Lord? Nehemiah was hot about what was taking place. So he gives them a command on what they need to do in verse 19. When shadows began to fall on the gates of Jerusalem just before the Sabbath... I gave orders that the gates be closed and not open until after the Sabbath. I posted some of my men at the gates so that no goods could ever uh, could enter during the Sabbath day. So he orders the gates uh, to be closed as soon as the shadows begin to fall on the gates of Jerusalem. Now the Sabbath day would have begun on sun, uh, sundown on the sixth day of the week, which is our Friday. So the Sabbath day is from Friday afternoon as the sun begins to go down till Saturday afternoon at that same time. That was the Sabbath day uh, for Jews, and it still is the Sabbath day today. Uh, that's when the Sabbath day begins. And so as the sun begins to go down, when the shadow hits the gates, they are to be shut. That is the start of the Sabbath day, and those gates are to be shut. And all of this stuff that's been going on, uh, a, a, a stop is to be put uh, to those things. All right, verse 20. Once or twice the merchants and those who sell all kinds of good camped outside of Jerusalem. But I warned them, why are you camping in front of the wall? If you do it again, I'll use force against you. And they did not come again on the Sabbath. Then I instructed the Levites to purify themselves and guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath holy. 
Remember me for this also, my God, and look on me with compassion in keeping with your abundant faithful love. All right, so now the gates are closed on the Sabbath. They can't buy and sell. And so the vendor said, no problem. We don't have to go in the city. We'll set up right outside the gates. And Nehemiah said, get out of here. We Get out of here. We're not buying and selling from you on this day. And if you come back again, there's going to be trouble. He gave them a stern warning. Now, sadly, sometimes that has to be the case. Even in our world today among Christians, there are sometimes uh, people that cause trouble. And sometimes, even though we don't want to, we have to get stern. Now, we have to, we have to check ourselves and watch ourselves. We can go too far sometimes. But there are sometimes things that need to be addressed in a firm way. And so we need to pray, okay, God, help me to do this, but do it in a right way that we don't, that we don't go too far. Uh, here in Nehemiah, he, he was pretty stern with them, and he got his point across. And they didn't come back anymore after, after he addressed the issue. And then he says uh, at the end of uh, verse 22, remember me for this, God. Now, he said a similar thing a few verses earlier. And so he's saying, God, I'm trying to do what's right. Remember me for what I'm doing, that I'm trying to get your people to do right, that I'm trying to get things back in order. God, remember me, that even though these people are evil and keep doing evil, remember me that I'm, I've given it my best shot. Even if the people won't listen, God, I'm doing all I can do. So remember me uh, because, because I've been faithful to you throughout all of these things. Verse 23, In those days I also saw Jews who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, or the language of one of the other peoples, but could not speak Hebrew. I rebuked them, cursed them, beat some of their men, and pulled out their hair. I forced them to take an oath before God and said, You must not give your daughters in marriage to their sons, or take their daughters as wives for your sons or yourselves. Now, Nehemiah is pretty hot right here. I mean, look at what he does. He rebuked them, cursed them, beat the men, and pulled out their hair. Now, that is pretty intense. Now, this may be a good example of sometimes we see godly people in Scripture do things that is not the way maybe that God wanted it to be done. Now, maybe God had put this on Nehemiah's heart. Go pull their hair out. I don't know, but we need to be careful. We need to be very careful with passages like these or like Samson and say, well, yeah, Samson, he was a hothead and he went out and acted a fool and, and, and he's still a hero of faith in Scripture. Well, yeah, he is, but that doesn't mean that everything he did was right. I mean, sometimes God even uses fools to get, get, get done what he wants to get done, but, but that doesn't mean that God wants people to be fools. And I don't know that God wanted Nehemiah to pull out these people's hair. Maybe he did. But I can just about guarantee you that I don't think that God wants us to go around pulling out people's hair today. And so we need to be careful with those things. There may be times that people are doing evil things in our life or even in our church body. And we may need to address those things and we may need to address those things firmly. But please don't pull out nobody's hair and say, well, Nehemiah did it and I can do it too. I don't think that that's what God wants us to do. Jesus tells us how to deal with, with problems in the New Testament as well as Paul. Sometimes they have to be dealt with, but we want to do it with a right heart. But regardless, the people were doing evil. And what were they doing? What's being addressed? They had married these foreign people, and their children couldn't even speak Hebrew. The language of God's people, they couldn't even speak it. And so Nehemiah was hot. 
And they had just promised a few chapters back, okay, God, we will not intermarry with these foreign people. And they did it again. All throughout the New Testament, time and time again, they paired themselves up with people who do not seek God. And this is important for us, too, that we don't do the same thing. Now, there's likely only one of us in this room that's looking forward to marriage anytime soon. All the rest of us are married, praise the Lord. But it's important when you're looking for somebody to marry that you find somebody that follows God and seeks God. Too many times people say, well, they're not a Christian, or yeah, maybe they were baptized later, and maybe they got some rough edges, but I'll work that out. Well, you may work that out, but they may work God right out of you too. And that was the problem that, that was faced in the Scripture for God's people. They were pulled away from God because they married people that did not seek God. And that's why Paul says in the New Testament, the same language, do not be unequally yoked. That is, do not marry an unbeliever. Why? because they will likely pull you away from God. And so that was a problem here for God's people, and it's a problem for us today. And so find a good mate. That's, a, that's the moral of the story, a, a good Christian godly mate. Verse 26, he uses an example. Didn't King Solomon of Israel sin in matters like this? There was not a king like him among many nations. He was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Yet foreign women drew him into sin. Why then should we hear about you doing all this terrible evil and acting unfaithfully against our God by marrying foreign women? Now this example of Solomon is the most amazing example that I think about in Scripture. Because when we read about Solomon, what do we see about Solomon? He was the wisest man. He had a lot of wisdom. Maybe the wisest man to have ever walked this earth. And if the wisest man to have ever walked the earth can give in to sin, what hope do we have? Because you and I, I'll speak for myself, I'm certainly nowhere close to being the wisest man alive. If the wisest man alive, if sin gets a hold to him because he doesn't listen to what God says, then that should be, that should be a good warning for us that we got to be careful. God told Solomon specifically, don't go after foreign wives or they will turn you against me. And the wisest man in the world did not listen to what God said, and he went after foreign wives, and what did they do? They turned him against God, and he built all these altars for these false gods. What a good warning for us to consider and think about. And so this is the warning that Nehemiah brings to the people. All right, verse 28. Every one of the sons of Jehoiada, son of Eliashib, the high priest, had become a son-in-law to Sanballat the Horonite. So I drove him away from me. Sanballat, you may remember that name. That was one of the people who were giving God's people trouble and trying to stop them from building the wall, as was Tobiah. The very enemies that had tried to stop uh, the people of Judah from coming back in were the ones that they were, they were in cahoots with. They were literally sleeping with the enemy, so to speak. The enemy was sleeping in the temple, in the storehouses. They were marrying uh, into the family of one of their enemies. God's people so quickly had been restored and repented and rejoiced and said, God, we make promises to follow your word. And a lot of the things that they said we will never do, 
They are falling like dominoes here in Nehemiah 13. They were doing for 12 chapters. It has been good and rejoicing and uplifting, and God has been good, and God's people have been good, and God's people have, they have fallen again. Verse 29, Remember them, my God, for defiling the priesthood as well as the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. So I purified them from everything foreign and assigned specific duties to each of the priests and Levites. I also arranged for the donation of wood at the appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, my God, with favor. Nehemiah 13 ends kind of on a low note. It'd be great if it said, and all the people were restored and the temple was built and the walls were up and God's people lived happily ever after. But that was not the case. Nehemiah once again says, remember me, God. I've done all I can do, dear Lord. I have spoken up for you. I've even pulled these people's hair out and they still won't listen. The story of Nehemiah's people didn't end well. But what about your story and my story? We can't control their story. But perhaps if we're honest, our lives don't look so different. Maybe our sins are not the same as theirs. Maybe our sins are not on the list of things that Nehemiah addresses. But you've got them and I've got them. And you know what your sins are, the things you struggle with. And just the same way that God's people in the Old Testament struggle time and again, so you and I struggle time and again. And this week we may do well and praise God and rejoice, but next week may be our Nehemiah 13 week. And then we find ourselves in the same boat saying, God, I've done it again. But would you have grace and would you have mercy? So what hope is there for the people of Nehemiah 13? What hope is there for us? Well, this is a pattern that we see throughout the whole Old Testament that does not get better. From the time of, of Noah in Genesis chapter 6, God looked at the people and ain't much time passed in the grand scheme of things from when he created everybody to, to Genesis 6. And everybody was evil but righteous, no his family. Everybody was evil, the whole world. That's pretty bad. And we look at the world today and say things have never been this bad. Well, if you say that, you never read Genesis 6. Because everybody in the whole world was evil. There was nobody righteous. Now, there's a few righteous people in the world today. There's a few righteous people in this building tonight, I believe. There's probably going to be more righteous people in this church Sunday than there was in the whole world in Genesis chapter 6. And so things have always been bad. God's people sometimes have been bad. But there's a constant throughout the whole Old Testament. And that constant is pointed out to us in Nehemiah. And that is this. God is always good. God is always full of grace. God is always full of mercy. God sometimes judges His people. God sometimes punishes His people. But God is always faithful to deliver the righteous. Always, from the days of Noah, from the time of Lot, all the way throughout Scripture. It does not matter. If there are righteous people, God spares the righteous. Now, He'll punish the evil, but He will always spare the righteous. And so what hope is there for us? The same hope that there was for Nehemiah's people, that there's something better that's coming. The old way was never going to work. They had the temple rebuilt, didn't matter. 
They weren't doing what they should in the temple. They weren't bringing the offerings. They probably weren't offering the sacrifices like they would. The old way was never going to work because they were going to continue to sin. And you and I are going to continue to sin. And that is why Jesus Christ is so important. Because the cycle goes on and on and on. As long as there is humanity, as long as there are people on this earth, there will be this cycle of sin. But what breaks the cycle of sin? It is the grace of God. That is the only thing that breaks the cycle of sin. And so, what, so whether, you're, whether you've, 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 you've been a Christian for years or whether you, you, you just are becoming a Christian today, there is one thing that we must go to and we must go back to, and that is the grace of God. When we come to Jesus Christ, we receive the grace of God. And even when we are followers, sometimes we are just like the people of Nehemiah. We go back and we sin and we say, God, I've done it again. And what do we have to do? we got to go back to the well. Because every time we live in sin and we separate ourselves from God by not being obedient to Him, it's like we're walking in the desert and we are dry as we can be spiritually. And the only way our thirst is quenched is if we go to the well of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know where you are tonight. I don't know if you're following Jesus. But if you're not, I want to tell you, you're in a desert. Jesus will quench your thirst. That's the only hope in the cycle of sin is the grace of God. And it only comes through Jesus Christ. Maybe you're already a follower of Jesus tonight. But maybe, maybe you're having a Nehemiah 13 season in your life. And maybe you need to go back a few chapters and have one of those seasons of repentance. God's grace was good time and time again for His people in the Bible. And it's still good time and time again for us today if we seek Him in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we come to You. We thank You for this good book. And we thank You for Your grace. Because God, really, even though we desire to do good, sometimes we just don't do it. Sometimes we just sin, and it's not good. It's not right. It's not okay. We should never just say it's okay. We're, we're just human. Yeah, we are human. We are going to sin, but we shouldn't be okay with it. So let us strive to do all we can to not sin. And God, let us, let us know that on the days that we do, that there is hope and that there is grace. And so God, maybe there's some here tonight, and they're in a season of, season of, of joy, dear Lord. And they're walking close to you. I pray that you bless them and help them to help them to watch yourself. Even old Solomon, in all his wisdom, he stumbled. And God, we are certainly no better. So help us to watch ourselves, even even as good as things may be. And God, maybe there's some of us tonight, and we we more like Nehemiah 13 than we care to admit. So God, help us just to repent. Help us to seek you and know that hey, there is hope. Even in our cycle of sin, there is hope in your grace. And I pray that we would all find it tonight. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.